What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. I had on the show 19 years old, 66 kg lifter in the USAPL. He is a multiple time teen national champion. Evan Glasgow joined me for a terrific interview. Uh, Evan is a friend of mine, and usually when I have friends on the show, we talk for a really long time, and that's exactly what you're going to get for this episode. I typically lose track of time when I'm having a good time interviewing or talking to someone, and episode up into two days, but we talked about just a lot of different subjects. Uh, Evan, we started off talking about nutrition, Evan's vegan, how that translates into his training, uh, how he got started into training, how that led up to 2019 Raw Nationals, where he had a terrific performance, took number one. IPF Worlds up in the air, but he is planning on competing in it, and some of his future goals after that, we talk about one thing, we'll change about powerlifting, what his favorite things are in the sport of powerlifting, and we play word association at the end, and we talk about a whole lot of other things in between, so really good information and entertaining interview with Evan, but but before we get into this interview, got to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, go to leftlarbros.com and get yourself some apparel. Use promo code 2WL10 and you will get 10% off of some gym banners, t-shirts, fanny packs, sweatpants, sweatshirts, baseball tees, beanies. Use promo code 2WL10 and you will not regret it. Remember, if you look good, you feel good, and if you feel good, you lift good. And that's what Leftlar Bros is going to do for you. Also, go to rivalist.net. And get yourself some supplements. Use promo code ANGELO20. Not ANGELO15. ANGELO20. Get 20% off of your order. Right now, pretty pretty good time to buy in bulk protein powder. But also creatine pre-workout branch and amino acids merchandise. Use promo code ANGELO20. And you get 20% off. Also, subscribe on iTunes. And follow on Spotify as well. And while you're on iTunes, leave a review. Leave a five-star rating. You can even tell me something I need to work on. But all I really care about is I get that feedback. So remember to do that on iTunes. Also, we're available on Spotify. And without further ado, here it is. Two White Lights. FaceTime, national champion in the 66 kg weight class. I think the first guest in the 66 kg weight class on two white lights. Second. Who's who's the other one? Unless I'm missing one. Who? Snur. Oh yeah, Snur. I forgot. That was an awesome interview. Yeah, second 66 kg guy we had on the podcast. I love him. I have with me Evan Glasgow. How are you, man? I am doing fabulously. How are you? Very good. And you know what? I got to get this first question out of the way. Your name's Evan. You're a vegan. You're a powerlifter. How awesome is it having another powerlifter who's a vegan, who's also named Kevin, 
and he's an intolerable douchebag. So everything you do is awesome, and everything he does just takes all the vegan hate and douchebaggery onto him. Well, you know, I, I would love to make a comment on, on Evan Carnan, but he actually blocked me before I could even say a single word to him. So uh, there has been no interactions between myself and him. He is, uh, in my opinion, I think he's just fucking annoying, man. He's just fucking annoying. An intolerable uh, douchebag, you know? and just that, to... That's pretty accurate of a way to describe him. Yeah, and then I always think, I'm like, whenever he does something, someone's going to make a great meme about the cool Evan, as I like to call you. Cool Evan, cool vegan Evan. And they're going to bring more spotlight to him because of how big of a douchebag he is. So it's like a weird spin zone for you. It's like, are you mad that he's a a douchebag? But if he wasn't a douchebag, people would just be like, oh, well, this Evan's awesome and we like him more. Um, I don't know. I think, I think the, um, the group of people that are named Evan are very underrepresented in powerlifting and strength sport. And, you know, I, I just, I'm glad to see more of my kind out there, but, um, I, I don't know if he's exactly the best spokesperson for the people named Evan group that is out there. So it's a little annoying. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. And we're two minutes and 30 seconds in, and I'm going to stop talking about him because I know that people, one, want him to come on Two White Lights, and it's never going to happen because I'm never getting the satisfaction of getting clout because that's all that motherfucking guy wants is that clout, and I'm not oh, going to give it to him. And I think up to the meat. That was insane. Yeah, yeah I know. But <laughs> I, I did laugh about that. I think I did talk about it once because it was like a wrestling chicken shit heel move that he did. It's like talk yeah. a bunch of shit and then like get disqualified or just leave and not show up. But yeah, actually we're now on three minutes and I, I given him more press yeah. than he needs. I'm sure we could do a whole five podcasts in a row on how much we are uh, infuriated by that guy. But uh, yeah, he's a, uh, he's definitely a character, not in a good way at all. He's one of few though. He's one of few. There's not too many Evans. I think we could do podcasts, I, a whole podcast episode on just annoying people in powerlifting and just really yes. call out a bunch of people. But I had to get that one off my chest early because I got with me the cool Evan, the cool vegan Evan, and the accomplished powerlifter Evan as well. And hey, you know what? Let me get this question out early. You've been powerlifting for what? Three or four years now? Uh, I believe. So I've been competing for four years and I've been training for five years now, I believe. Okay. And you, Just about five. And you haven't been vegan for all those years, correct? Correct, yeah. So I've, I've been vegan since January 2nd of uh, 2019. So it's been a little over a year, I guess a year and a half now, yeah. Okay. So has that... So describe to me like the effects it has on your training. Has it had any effect? Has it been just as good like from doing both things? Uh, because I think vegans get a bad rap uh, just in fitness in general. Yeah. But I look I at you, so. a successful powerlifter, multiple-time national champion in the team division. You have a great beard, so that might actually be like, like a whole other – effect of veganism that we don't even know about so what effect has it had on you yeah so basically 
to summarize my uh, effects on training with veganism, there's not much. Uh, I, I've noticed very little of the difference. You know, I think most people to argue about, you know, or to stress over the effects of a few extra grams of leucine in their diet per day, they're, it's kind of like you're taking the little pebbles of training when you could be focusing on the big boulders of training, right? Mm -hmm. Being things like sleep or, or focusing on your technique, things like that. You know, I think um, most arguments about people's nutrition and the minutia like that are just completely a misplacement of effort and, uh, I guess, mental focus. So that's generally how I feel about that. But obviously, you know, I'm trying to put a lot of focus into my nutrition. And um, so things I'm doing, you know, to kind of deal with being, you know, obviously vegan diets are different. There's no way getting around that um, is I consume um, vitamin D3 uh, supplements. That's hard to get in as a vegan. Um, I take creatine, which is pretty much impossible to get from regular vegan food. Uh, I regularly supplement for EAAs, which is to, um, so people usually point out to, well, there's a difference in protein quality because you're not getting complete proteins from, from the, you know, the plants and stuff you consume. And, you know, yeah, that's totally true. So, but if you were to simply account for getting those in a supplement, at the end of the day, is, is the protein quality I'm taking in really different or, you know, um, but as far as changes go, so there's, I think, two big categories of people who have issues with nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. There are people who find it really hard to gain weight, and there are people who find it really hard to lose weight. I've always been the second. Okay. Right? So for people who have been kind of following my career, just, you know, kind of know me, I, in the past year, dropped down from the 74 kilo class to the 66, um, which is something I've been planning on doing, but I've always struggled with my nutrition, and I found that when I switched to a vegan diet, um, just the general, you know, higher fiber content, mm -hmm. higher food volume of the foods is something that makes it easy for me to feel like I'm eating more than I am as opposed to where I was before. So I'm not here to, you know, I'm not going to preach to anyone that veganism is the perfect diet. And if you stop eating meat, you're going to, you know, gain 20 pounds of muscle mass and lose 50 pounds of fat. But I will tell you that if you generally feel hungry and you want to, you know, lose some weight, uh, you know, uh, increasing the, the kind of plant matter that you take in might be an effective strategy to help reduce calorie intake so i guess yeah that's basically it for me that does that answer oh yeah that was a fantastic response there um and yeah answers most of my questions i and i would have to ask also what motivated you to switch to that diet was it just solely based on you know you making the cut from 74 to 66 or that you know the second option you talked about how it was difficult you difficult for you to lose weight yeah so for me um the reason that i switched to veganism actually has absolutely nothing to do with training or my body weight or anything with food really um it, it basically comes down to for me 
um, the treatment of animals in the agriculture industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not something that I want my money to go towards. And obviously there's a lot of debate. I'm sure some people are listening to this. are going to say, well, you know, you're not saving any because there's animals that die on soy farms and things like that. But at the end of the day, for me, this is about um, reducing the amount of harm and I guess you could say abuse towards animals that really, I guess you could say innocent. I don't know. Yeah. So it's totally for me ethical. You know, that's the entire reason mm-hmm. as to why. Yeah. I always, cause whenever I get into debates between, you know, the types of diets that people should follow, um, and if I am arguing against, like, a vegan, I'm like, the one argument that they do have that's always bulletproof is, like, I don't like harming animals, and I'd rather not harm animals, so I'm a vegan. I'm like, all right, I can't argue against that. I'm like, if that's your feeling, then that's what, I mean, that's actually the most admirable way to become vegan. Um, it's when they yeah. start telling me it's the most optimal diet and trying to debate with me on that. I'm like, okay, chill, because it's just, I don't even, like, I don't care debates I just, like, always leave the room for them because I'm like, I'm not doing this. I, I don't care. I'm, I'm like, I'm right put food you. in your face and that's it. <laughs> like, I don't – that is that is my debate on nutrition because I used to be super into it when I did well, – before powerlifting, I was super into nutrition, you know, because I, well, I, I just like the whole fitness aspect. I thought it was fascinating. That's that's how I got light of Lane Norton and Team 3DMJ was through oh, yeah. their vlogs on nutrition, not even lifting. Yeah. But a- after a while, it's like – you know what, I really don't care about this anymore or, like, thinking that passionately about it. It's like, I'm going to eat till I'm not hungry anymore. I have energy to train, and that's about it. Yeah, I think that um, nutrition strategies for people oftentimes should be just as individualized. Well, maybe not just as, but as individualized as training is, you know. You wouldn't train the same way as me. You also probably shouldn't eat the same way as me, you know? Mm-hmm. Different goals, different peoples, different bodies, different mindsets. All, all those types of things should be really lumped in, and, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this will be my last question, and then we'll move on to other topics. Uh, like, this is not related to nutrition, but where would you rank nutrition on, like, that pyramid of powerlifting success? Because mm. I always – I'm always fascinated with those arguments because – Someone will be like, oh, you're just not eating right if I have bad training session. I'm like, well, how important is that in the grand scheme of things? Like, am I eating not enough calories? Maybe. Am mm-hmm. I under-eating? Am I over-eating? The food quality is one thing. I'm like, those arguments to me could be so, like, far-fetched. I think it's lower on the rankings than people usually would assume. I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's number one. I think... The number one variable in most people's training in recovery, I think, is sleep, and I don't think it's talked about enough. It's yeah. talked about, but I don't think it's it's emphasized enough at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say food. Well, I'd say having an adequate protein intake is is also pretty high up there. Um, I think general active recovery strategies are really important, but people don't really talk about those much either. You know, I think to put it on a sort of pyramid might be a, like that might not be the best way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I think it's sort of like um, you would want to analyze everything in terms of how much you can get out of it 
and how easy it is to do, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm trying to think of a good example right now. I can't really think of a good example. But, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I think that nutrition is one of those things that's like, if you can get yourself disciplined enough to get a lot out of it, you're going to get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing as I was saying with sleep and, you know, general recovery strategies. Yeah, I... I, I, and I ask this question because, you know, through just DMs and the people I talk to say they're at my like old commercial gym or, you know, even at surge, they will try to like analyze every little thing about my training to why I'm having success. And it was, it always came down to nutrition for some reason. It's like, so what do you eat before workouts? What do you eat after workouts? I'm like, okay, I look at your videos. Have you tried learning how to lift before you think about any of these things? Oh, yeah. No, I totally get where you're coming from, man. Because I think people get uh, hung up on those other variables. Like, dude, you got to learn how to lift before we talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, focusing on those little tiny pebbles, as I I mentioned earlier, as opposed to focusing on the big things like, you know, sleeping, uh, trying to get jacked, you know, all those things. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like that's uh, – and I always would have to defer to another powerlifter to see what they bring up first as far as successful training, and it's usually not nutrition first. Like some people change their diets and they have success, but usually it's through proper training methods. But speaking of learning how to lift, um, you are a terrifically accomplished powerlifter, and you're only 19 years old. So tell me how you got involved in the sport of powerlifting – um, and you've actually been, you've actually been more involved than most because I know you're, you, you're a USAPL state rep, correct? Correct. Yeah. So a lot of passion going on in the sport. So how did you get your start? Yeah. So, um, for me, I first heard about, um, I first started lifting when I heard about it actually as a way to get better at wrestling in the, in the off season. So that's how I kind of made my way into the gym. You know, everyone was always like, Evan, you're strong. You look like you work out. That doesn't make sense. So I was like, okay, I guess if everyone thinks I do this thing, I should probably try doing it. It might be good at it. And, uh, sort of like the first, actually, I don't want to say the first, first day, but within the first week, I, uh, I was very set on this goal I had in my head of becoming the shortest Mr. Olympia uh, right underneath uh, Franco Colombo. But uh, I don't know if anyone knows how how tall or I guess how short you could say he actually was. So, yeah, that's how I made my way in the gym. Um, Yeah, I just was training for, you know, about a year of, all right, I am going to be a sick, sick bodybuilder. And then I was like, well, I kind of just enjoy the whole maxing out, loading more weight on the bar thing a little bit more. Uh, so I started doing that and uh, started seeing pictures of Eric Lillybridge, Dan Green, you know, those little um, those little memes that used to come about. They would be like posted on like the Do You Even Lift page where it's like Jeff side next to Eric Lillybridge and it's like, like which guy would you not want to fight more? Yeah, those, I used to see those and be like, wow, that's so cool. I just gotta, I gotta do that. So I did my first meet, um, really had no competitive aspirations or anything at my first meet, just wanted to get one done and be able to say that, you know, I was a powerlifter and, uh, I did that. Then I found out that 
I broke like four state records, which, you know, I don't actually believe means much, but at the time it meant a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was like, okay, well, where do I go from here? And then from there, did a couple more meets, then uh, found my way at nationals, uh, flew out there, flew to Ohio at um, 2 a.m., got off the plane at like 4 a.m. with my dad magazine, and I was like 16. And uh, yeah, went there, wound up winning because there's not many 14, 15-year-olds, however old I was, I really don't know. Uh, yeah, and then some guy was like, Evan, you won. Are you going to Worlds? And I was like, what, what do you mean? And then he's like, you don't know? You, you don't know? Like, you win nationals and you go to the World Championships. Like, SBD sponsorship, like, a whole bunch of cool shit. I'm like, oh, wait, what am I getting myself into? So, yeah, that's kind of uh, what, uh, kind of how that all went. And then at Worlds that year, well, I should mention that at that meet, nationals in orlando that is where i met your coach joe stanick yes sir. and uh joe coached me beginning shortly after nationals coached me in powerlifting while i was in the wrestling season which i'm sure was a headache for joe uh joe and i have spoken about this recently actually that i was not exactly the ideal client because uh i was just so busy with wrestling and just generally being young i mean did not care to do the uh checking forms and stuff it it, uh it frustrated him a little bit but yeah so uh i wound up breaking my leg wrestling going to worlds anyway um took second there and then uh what did i do after that just trained internationals for spokane did that won again that was cool then after that, what did I do? I think I trained. Oh, yeah. So after that, um, you know, I worked with a few other coaches, uh, wound up, you know, trying sumo out after that nationals and uh, Spokane. Wound up hurting myself pretty badly. You know, just sort of like chronic pain type injury, not like broke my leg again type injury. And, uh, yeah, I was in a pretty rough patch at that time. Um, didn't really think I'd be able to squat 405 again. And, uh, I'd hope to squat like, you know, 470 at that nationals. So that was pretty, you know, expectations were low. Um, yeah. And then that's when I decided to hire Matt Cronin. And since then, um, you know, hiring Matt and then uh, training at the gym that I do now. Well, not now, obviously, but when uh, when gyms are open, I train at United Barbell uh, in Farmingdale, New York. Uh, if anybody listening to this is ever on Long Island, you, you probably already know about the gym, but definitely stop by. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great place. So just ever since I started going to that gym, being coached by Matt, Matt's helped me dial in my nutrition, um, get back to being completely pain-free. Uh, he helped me go down to 66 and that's when I did regionals, which was this past July, I believe. So about a year ago, um, I did that. That was my first meet as a 66 that qualified me for the primetime spot at, uh, nationals that was in, in Lombard, which was like, and, uh, yeah, I guess three from there. 
Yeah, and uh, I I caught wind of you going into nationals. I saw you win the uh, 66k twin weight class, and from there, you know, I got to just be more involved, just through conversations with you. And you also did bring up, you know, your coach, and we were having a mini conversation about like good coaches in powerlifting, and you brought up your coach. So, how how much of effect do you think that had? And a former guest of the show, also Matt Cronin. Uh, how much effect did that have into your Nationals performance, where you performed really well at? Thank you. Um, well, first off, I have to say, um, I pay Matt to coach me. Matt does not pay me. Uh, I don't get coaching for free. And I feel the need to say that because, like, anytime I wind up talking about Matt as a coach, it, it just sounds like an advertisement. I really can't be more grateful for, you know, every second of his time he's put into my career and it's just it's really made all the difference man it really has you know when I first started you know I wouldn't say that I'm extremely good as a powerlifter now but I'm definitely better than I used to be and you know for him to take me on and give as much time and attention and really just passion into everything he does Mm -hmm. with not only me but you know every every athlete I see him work with you know they get the same kind of attention you know a lot of coaches you see will kind of prioritize certain athletes that kind of have more potential or, you know, they're, they're going to bigger meets. But, you know, with Matt, I can honestly say that if you really, you know, if really, like, let's say we knew you would never get over a, a 300 Wilkes or something, just to throw something out there. Like, if you knew you weren't ever going to be really, I know for a fact that Matt would give you the same exact attention that I kind of get. And, yeah, I mean, I, I really... You know, like I said, it winds up, winds up sounding like an ad every time I talk mm-hmm. about him. Matt's really one of my best friends, and um, every issue I've ever had, he's kind of gone 100% into learning how to help me solve it. And just, yeah, like I said, man, couldn't be more grateful for him. I, I don't think that, you know, regardless, um, not even to say how I would have done at Nationals had I not been coached by him. I don't even know if I would have competed again if mm-hmm. I didn't wind up hiring him again, hiring him when I did. Because when uh when I hired him, man, I, I had a very low outlook on training and things just weren't looking good. But you know, I, I think that he's helped me more than I think I made a great decision. Is is what I mean to say, I guess. Yeah, and it, it does turn into an ad. It, it always will if you're talking about a coach because if you had success under a coach. And somebody asks, who's your coach and what coach should I get? You're going to say your own coach. And I felt like I've yeah. done that because when I, and there's, you know, if I'm part of a group chat and there's a new lifter in there or a new person in there, not even a new lifter, just a new person in the group chat, it's like, you know what? I'm thinking about switching coaches. Who do you guys think I should get? I'm going to say Joe all the time. I'm not going to say anyone else. I'm always going to be like, get Joe Sanic as a coach. It's like, I love him. I he so does great. great he does a great, yeah, it's a but then if somebody says Macron, I'd be like, oh yeah, for sure, he's awesome too. Like there's, yeah, there's there's my list. But you know, if if you know if uh, I'm taking business away from like Noriega, Cronin, and all the other guys, and like Flex and all them because I just say Joe Stanek, I'm sorry I'm being that ad, but you know, I think think the other ones are great too. You know, I just am gonna say my coach first. Yeah, no, I I definitely get that, and doing the right thing to to put your coach first because he's the only coach that you've actually 
work with, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if I were to if I were to recommend if I were to recommend RTS, you know, as much as I believe in them, it just wouldn't be genuine because I haven't actually experienced that firsthand. So I think that for you to recommend Joe first and I think Joe's a great coach as well. So I think you're making a, I think you're doing a solid for people by telling them to go to him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that I think that should be your first recommendation. Yeah, and the same thing with because uh, I've talked to Matt. He's been on the show, and I've talked to Matt, you know, prior for him coming on the show and stuff. And those, if someone asked me, it's like I'm getting coached by Matt Cron. I'm like, boom, you got a good coach there. Awesome. It, but it's, it, but if I was if someone had come up to me and is like, hey, how do you think Flex would be as a coach? I'd be like, I have no fucking idea. I don't get coached by Flex. Yeah. I never talked to the guy. I talked yeah. to him once. I talked to him at the Arnold for like 15 seconds. And he wanted to know if yeah. my world record is able that Russ can break it. So that was that was that was my own. I'm like, if you're if you're gonna ask me to get coached by Flex, like I have no idea. You could even do the same with the Swolfesser. Yeah. You know, I talked to yeah. him. He's an intelligent guy. I'm like, but am I gonna be like? I have no idea how he coaches people. I don't. I've never been coached by him, man. Like I, I've exactly. I've talked to him for five minutes. He's funny. He's cool. Very intelligent. We got into like a nice intelligent conversation about the coronavirus at the Arnold, but are you going to say, like, am I going to say get coaching from him? You're like, you could. He seems like a cool guy, but shit, I'm not going to give you a fucking scouting report on the dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I kind of feel bad saying that because I love Marcel. I think he's I think he's doing a great job. You can see mm-hmm. in his own training that he kind of knows what the fuck's going on and, yeah. and, and the, the athletes that he does coach, like, they're all doing super well, but I just, I don't know what's going on. I yeah. just don't. You know what I actually might – in order to do this and get my uh, listeners a – like do them a solid, I might just start inviting a bunch of coaches on. Just to say like, hey, if you guys want a scouting report on who to hire as a coach, we got on two white yeah. lights. Like I'm going to plug Joe Sanic pretty much every episode because I think I'm on a solid streak. Give him a one-minute audition. Yeah, I'm giving like a streak of just like me dropping his name every episode. I think Matt Cronin too. I think hopefully – I don't know if he's going to reach out to me if he's got any business from after him appearing on Two White Lights, but I've spoke very highly of him as well, and pretty much, and also uh, like all the other coaches at TSA. But I, yeah, like I might just start having to reach out to different coaches and be like, "All right, guys, you want to know about coaching? I'm going to give you a scouting report on all of them. Just listen to the interview, see if you like them, and boom, hire him as a coach if you need to." That'd be great, actually. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, I'm actually. I might actually reach out to school right when this interview is done. I might reach out to him like right after like immediately after but all right you took first place at nationals had a great performance there ipf worlds um would this be your first time in the open for ipf worlds so i actually won't be in the open um i'll be competing as a junior okay which is going to be cool because it'll be my first meet as a junior um when i got the junior team spot i was still competing as a teen actually so uh that's cool this is going to be really exciting um if it happens that is we'll see yeah, and uh, that was the other. That was my next question. Obviously, with like everything in the air, I personally think the way things are going, I think IPF Worlds can definitely be a go. But one, are you fully a hundred percent invested in going if it is a go? Um, you know, I think, I think for me, what seems like the most fun thing to do is to bring some fucking smoke to national. Mm-hmm. to the open division this year to me that sounds like the most fun thing i could do now i know that if worlds goes on i'm not going to pass that up i'm mm-hmm. not going to pass that opportunity up 
you know, as much as we've seen 74 in the past few years, I think the 66 class is kind of eaten up. And, um, you know, if just because I did, you know, in my opinion, I think I did pretty well in the past year, that same performance or even better, it might not be good enough to get me back to Worlds. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of not going to, you know, I kind of feel like I have to make good on the, um, the whole going to Worlds thing. It, it would mean a lot to me to, to win that. Because um, uh, uh, I think I mentioned in this, right? So every time I've competed, I, you know, counting my age class as, you know, what I'm competing in. I've actually won every meet except for Worlds, which kind of hurts because a lot of my friends, they'll know I went to Worlds. They'll be like, oh, what's up, World Champ? And I'm like, actually, kind of close, but not really. It just kind of <laughs> hurts to say. So, uh yeah, that'd be awesome. Because, uh, yeah, when I was at Worlds uh, um, 2018, I think it was, or 2017, whichever year Calgary was, you know, I remember being backstage with none other than Michael C. and Dallas Bay, and I was on the sub-junior team, they were on the junior teams, and I was kind of like, oh, wow, I'm here, just a little kid, and these guys are here, and they're the real fucking deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, Dallas, Michael, Clifton Foe, Eddie Berglund, a whole bunch of studs, right? And I remember talking to them, and we were all just kind of hanging out. And then uh, I mentioned, like, to uh, – I think it was Dallas I mentioned it to. Like, hey, I'm thinking about going down to 66 in the future. And I just remember Dallas saying, like, oh, yeah, man. Um, you fill my shoes when I leave. And ever since, that's just been kind of – that plan I had since I was a uh, sub junior 74 at Worlds has mm. just been stuck in my head. Of I gotta, that, that's what I have to do. I have to win Worlds. I have to, you know. So, not to sound overly dramatic, but I kind of feel like I need to go to Worlds. Yeah, and it's now because there is a decision that a lot of listeners have to make. It's do you compete Worlds or Nationals? And, you know, I've never had the opportunity to compete at Worlds myself. But what, what, what's the date on this again, on when they're planning on doing Worlds? So uh, the dates, the current dates between Worlds and Nationals are between one and two weeks apart. Okay. So uh, Worlds would be right at the end of September, early October. And then Nationals is also early October. So it's like, even if you wanted to, yeah, to, in order to compete in both, you would need to basically fly from Belarus to Kona. Yeah, so if you're a crazy bastard, you're gonna do both. This is pretty much what the uh, what the scouting report is on that. But yeah, if I like, given the opportunity, because I think a lot of people talk about nationals and worlds, and I never had an opportunity to compete at worlds, but that's just an opportunity you just can't pass up, even if it's in you know, a lot of people were upset that was in Belarus. Like people that's ask me, is like, if if you got the chance, would you go? I'm like, hell yeah, I would go. Like, I would have to. Yeah. Like, I would. I need to go to Worlds. Like, you don't get that opportunity it's, a lot. It's not very um, it's not very easy, especially in your class, man. I, I think my class is one of the relatively lighter ones. No mm-hmm. offense to anyone I compete against, but, but, you know, I think 66 is just a bit lighter of the field at the moment than the 83 is. I don't know if anyone would disagree with that, actually. 
Yeah, so you're I, crazy if you want to pass that up. <laughs> yeah, and if it ever comes up, it's like, of course I'm going to take it. Like, it's it's your opportunity to really compete on an international scale. I mean, and the most legitimate international scale. Because I don't think other federations really have the international presence like USAPL and IPF does. So, it's yeah. like you are legitimately competing against people around the world. Where I've done past competitions where I'm like, okay, I'm really competing with, like, two other countries. If that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you you are testing yourself against like the actual like world's best in there. So yeah, but the unfortunate thing is so many people love nationals. <laughs> like that's a that's competition it, that people want to compete at. That's it. It's uh, it's a bit of a toss up. There's a lot of different factors going into each decision. Like I said, I, I think that by far the most fun that I could have is competing at nationals with all the other 66s from the U.S. Yeah. You know, even if I do, um, like, regardless of my total where it is, you know, to it, it, how competitive it is with the open lifters, I'm still not even lifting on the same day yeah. as them. Or am I? No, I don't. I think it's not the same day. I think it would be a week later, or something like that. But yeah, so it'd basically be me against two other guys I, I don't even i don't think either of them speak much english so it would be hard to you know have any sort of i guess competitive uh shit talking i guess you could say yeah but there's a couple strong guys it, it wouldn't like i don't want to downplay how you know it, yeah it i definitely got my work cut out for me there but i think nationals is just just so much fun well, man and i think you know that from from last year how, how much of a blast it is yeah, and that's like that because, and I've said it before in the podcast like 7,000 times where, you know, I my plan was to do one nationals meet and then do the USPA meets because they're local, they're, you know, the competition's decent. But then I went to nationals, I got like the full taste of USAPL. I'm like, all right, this is, this is awesome. This is actual. And some can make an argument that if you compete at nationals in the primetime slot, you might you are legitimately going against the actual best lifters in the world as opposed to like of course there's a few international lifters that are removed from that but from one to ten you're looking at maybe six or seven of the top legitimate top ten in the world oh exactly yeah i mean you know there's a lot of a lot of debate over this you know if you go weight class by weight class like you know like men's and women's actually too um it's different in each class but there's definitely a good argument to be made that, uh, you know, I guess 74s, a lot of the talents from the U.S., 83s, a lot of the talents from the U.S., 93, you know, same thing. It, I mean, 66, same thing. It's, it's just, it. we got a lot of depth here. So mm -hmm. Nationals is definitely uh, nothing to laugh at. For sure. And, uh, yeah, most of the records, too. Uh, like, I told several people when I broke the American record for USAPL, and they're like, man, it sucks. It's not a world It's not a world record. I'm like, I think that my American record is way more prestigious than a world record. I'm like, I, you could disagree with me, but I, I know for a fact, and I think that other people around the world know that some USAPL records are much, much, much more prestigious than IPF world record. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's um, I I understand why they have the rules in place that way, to where you can't set up world records at, at um, national meets, and I think it's a fair suit. I don't actually. 
that, to be honest with you. I don't find it fair. Uh, well, hear me out. I think that, well, first let me preface this by saying, if you look at the um, European countries, right? Yeah. They have several chances to compete in international comp. Yeah. So, us from the U.S., we only really get world records, you know, the option to, or, or the chance to, at IPF Worlds. So, to me, it's, the unfairness is kind of that in the U.S. we don't have much access to international competition. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you should be able to have three USA judges sanction a, a, a world record. I mean, you could kind of see the obvious, um, what's the term? Not bias, but I'm sure you get what I'm saying. Is yeah. It'd be pretty easy to kind of, you know, have some low standard world records. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks, but I think we should just, the U.S. needs to have more opportunities for international competition. And I think the Arnold is, uh, I think the Arnold does a pretty good job of that if they, uh, if they don't cancel them out again every other year from now yeah i was about to say i'm like we have opportunities to break world records but then apparently we don't because of some trumped up rule that the you know the chair just probably had a stick up his ass when he you know made that decision but um i'm actually probably going to talk about that in my next interview with ashton because i think he was the only one legitimately affected by that decision i think everyone else was kind of like not really in the same boat as far as setting world records goes but uh yeah, I just, like, you have that chance to break international records at the Arnold, and it was removed pretty damn quick. Yeah, from my understanding of things, there's, um, they use a rule that says, basically, you can't have anyone on the platform, right? You they, can't have someone on the platform when they say the bar's loaded, anyone they, at all, right? Yeah, they threw that in there, like, as far as their rationale which I think they they could have left that out and had a better argument because of, because of Gino. Yeah. They and if you kind of look at things in the past, I think the IPFs kind of got it out for Gino. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's it's really sad to see because Gino is I mean name name someone more loved in the sport than Gino, dude. Everyone has a story about how oh Gino was at my meet, he chewed me on, we hung out. Super cool, dude. Everyone's got a Gino story, you know. It's yeah. Just, just it, to me, it, it really sucks to see them. It, to me, that the whole Arnold's thing looks like a looks like a middle finger to Gino. Yeah, and that's again, I'm, we're we're gonna cover that more with Ashton because again, he was affected the most by it. But it was, yep. I thought that uh, when they threw that in there, I'm like, you guys actually had a. It, it was still, in my opinion, bullshit of their rationale behind it, but they threw that one in there at the end. I'm like, oh, now everyone thinks you guys are just being complete dickheads. Like, you guys didn't help your argument at all, now everyone's going to be exactly. you know, kind of firing firing up the pitchforks because of what you, like, the most beloved guy in USAPL, the most consistently beloved guy in USAPL, you're just going to go right after. Like, yeah, you're not going to endear yourself to American lifters by doing that. The first, exactly. the first set of standards that you had, I'm like, okay, I guess, even though that's inconsistent with other NAPF meets, what they're saying, but then they throw it in the end, it's like, oh, okay, well, that was an easy way to get everyone around the sport to say, fuck you. But, again, well, that's a that's that's a rant for another time, I guess. But, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, because maybe uh, maybe one you could talk to Gino about, man. Yeah, man. Uh, down if you sometime. Yeah, I definitely gotta. I want to get him. So uh, here's the thing about like this two white lights. There's an inside thing about two white lights. For everyone who either asks to come on or people request that I ask other people to come on, there are certain people that I need to have in-person interviews with. And there's certain people uh. that I could definitely have a Zoom interview with. I hold out on a lot of interviews. So I'm like, dude, I want to do this. Or it's, it's even a girl. Like, I want to do this in person because I want to get the full effect of it. Gino is one of the people that I want to sit down, make him a cocktail, and just me and him just drink and do a podcast while I'm looking at him so we don't interrupt each other. Because I have a lot of questions I can't imagine for him. Anything better. Like, I, I have a lot of questions for him. And there's a lot of lifters like that, too. So that's a that's a future, like, side note on Two White Lights where it's like, why don't you get this guy? Why don't you get that guy? I'm like, guys, there's a reason why I hold off on interviews. One, stop asking yeah. to come on. If I told you you're coming on, I just haven't decided the right date. And two, there's a reason why I haven't asked certain people because I want a in-person interview for it. And Gino is one of those people that I would really, really like an in-person one. I don't think I'm going to get the chance anytime soon. but So I might have to just, you know bite the bullet and tell him to do it on FaceTime or Zoom or something. But yeah, I uh I like I like Gino a lot and I want that interview which is funny that Mike my, my the the interview that's turned to my most excitement is the MC of a powerlifting federation. It's yeah. not like another powerlifter. Yeah. It's not like a, you know, retired powerlifter either. It's just like that dude is just so fucking cool. The the two interactions I've had with him were really awesome. hilarious cuz the first interaction I had with him, I was in front row when the 93s were going, and he drank out of my flask because he was going around the crowd looking for drinks. And I'm like, yo, yep. I'm like, yo, have some, I'm like, get some of my flask. And there's a solid video of him, me and him drinking out of my flask. And then at the Arnold, when I jumped into his arms, and then afterwards when giving out the medals, and he was talking about, uh, oh, who is it, Jonathan Garcia. He's like, yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, his deadlift, he's like, wait, what did you deadlift? I'm like, 750. He's like, what is it, like four times or something, your body weight? I'm like, I think so. He's like, how about yours? And he's like, 4.3 or something. He's like, oh, I made your deadlift look like shit, man. <laughs> and I'm like, that was fucking yeah. awesome. Just right yeah, in the middle of us man. getting medals, too. He's <laughs> yeah, he's been at, um, out, of, out of the, like, how many things I've done? Out of the past, like, 10, I think he's been at nine, so... And, you know, with refereeing and Gino's from New York, mm-hmm. you know, he's from like, he's, he grew up like half an hour from where I am actually. So I run into him all the time at meets and dude, the funniest thing, and no, not a lot of people know this about him. Gino is a state ref. Mm-hmm. When he's emceeing, if a referee has to go to the bathroom, he'll just sit down and take their spot and they can go to the bathroom in the middle of the meet. Nice. Yeah, I definitely a person who because when you hear him MC a meet, he's just not some guy dressed as a pirate, just saying shit into a mic. If you he, he does sometimes break down the rules of why something was missed, because I think powerlifters yeah, don't even know a lot of the rules that are that that are in the rule book that lifters commonly break. Because you know you would have powerlifters people in the audience be like, "What the fuck was that kind of call?" And then Gino would kind of get in front of it. Say no, it's this. It's a hitch. It's a ramp or something. He'll explain it. Yeah, no, nah, Gino's great. Yeah. He, he doesn't get enough, he doesn't get enough credit, even though everyone already loves him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, again, most beloved figure in USAPL. Now, 
Let's talk about the uh, the future of Evan here. Is there going to be an opportunity or a desire for you to move up to the 74s? Um, without a doubt, yeah. I think it's coming it's coming pretty soon. You know, I, I got some unfinished business as a 66 lifter. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to uh, I wouldn't be able to leave without taking some names. Uh, you know, namely, you know, I, I don't mean to talk any talk too much shit. Maybe a little. But uh, when I first got into powerlifting, man, one of the first people I saw was Charles Ocpoco, and you know how fucking jacked. Yeah. How strong the guy is. Jesus Christ. His yeah. his videos amaze me. Yeah. No, he's absolutely insane, and I have so much respect for the guy. But I hope he stays 66 for another few meets, man. I'm telling you, I just oh, I've always wanted to compete against him, but you know, I think I think um gonna be able to put together a pretty complete package my, my next couple meets so mm-hmm. uh maybe we'll see if some uh, some records fall maybe maybe i'm all listen man all i'm saying is maybe next nationals i leave with with two gold medals not just <laughs> one for the team class you know yeah yeah for so that's, sure. that's kind of where i'm at with 66 but as far as that goes i think after 2020 that's probably when i'll be going 74 mm-hmm after Worlds or Nationals, yeah. Yeah, that, so, well, I mean, also, just bringing up the point about Charles, I think lifters, and I have Delaney Wallace coming on the show, and uh, I'm looking to ask him about, like, you know, underrated lifters. A lot of lifters like to call themselves underrated, and a lot of fans like to call certain lifter underrated, or the big one is overlooked. Everyone, everyone in 74-way class is overlooked if you ask them. I think even Taylor Atwood would say he's overlooked at this point. But, but overlooked is a term, and I think Charles doesn't get that recognition, and the guy's just an absolute beast. I've never seen oh, legs on a human being like that. I don't know what's going on there. That is just a straight specimen of a person. Charles and he is, is not even a human being anymore. Yeah, he, he's, he's a, just an absolute stud that doesn't get as much praise as atwood or russ or even ray williams like if you're looking at the faces he should definitely be if i'm going to do a mount rushmore of current usapl male lifters it's you got to put charles atwood russ and then ray on there like you have to put charles on that thing and i think a lot of people may actually like just not even aware of it yeah totally man i think you know one of the most impressive things i've seen is when Apoko went from, I'm retired, I'm focusing on doctor's school, mm-hmm. you know, he's in, uh, looking to become a physical therapist, so, you know, when he, when he went from, I'm retired, to, oh, I'm doing Sheffield, now I total 11 times body weight in the gym, you know, that's kind yeah. of just a testament to how much of a freak that guy is. Yeah, and I would say I was guilty about it too because bringing up Sheffield, I was say I was really focused. I mean, it's a little bit of bias. I was focused on Russ and Gibbs because they're both eighty threes. Um, but I was uh-huh. talking a lot with like other people, just breaking down the event, being like, I think I I put Gibbs as my favorite, and I thought Russ definitely had a chance to beat Atwood because I don't think Atwood would have came into that meet one hundred percent. I think he would actually underperformed uh, heavily in that meet. But I, like, just would, after the conversation, like, oh, shit, I forgot to mention Charles. Like, that guy's, you know, yeah. about as good as any yeah, of those dudes on the platform. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. I think, 
I think the reason that Ogpoko probably has not gotten the recognition he deserves is because the 66 class just hasn't been pushed very hard in the past, you know? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the opportunity to come in and, you know, been talking endless amounts of shit and just crush him, you know? It gets, it's just kind of been Ogpoko is, you know, however far away ahead of everyone else. Maybe even 50 keys, I really don't know, but just he hasn't really been tested, man. Well, yeah, I mean, and also he isn't calling out Taylor Atwood and saying he's going to go out to 74 and then not do it. So that's that's one way yeah. to, like, uh, get yourself in the the, the vision of the clout. big clout pages. So, I mean, he could always do that. Yeah. If he if he wants if he if he wants if he wants that big following because I would say if you're t- I'll totally make people by seventy or fifty keys like Atwood was doing that shit for a while like it was Atwood was so far above everyone now you have people challenging him but you can build a pretty damn good fan base and following from just destroying everyone you can do it it's yep. uh you know I mean, looking right yeah I, there's so many like lifters who. The, the legends of the, I mean, you know, Hack is another one totaling 2K at 181. Raw, it's like, holy shit, okay, that's godly. Like, there's not too many guys untested and tested who are even going to come close to that in their career. It's, yep. 2K is a total that is cherished by everyone. Like, heavyweights, you know, and multiply, or like, single ply guys, raw with raps, and then he does it raw, it's like, Jesus Christ, and of course, he's loved in the sport because of that. I think just the year off kind of hurt Charles as far as getting, like, that recognition. Um, I qualify him as a powerlifter's powerlifter. If you're a powerlifter, you love the guy, and if you're just an outsider looking in who occasionally dabbles in powerlifting, he's not going to be a guy that you, uh, you gravitate towards immediately because he doesn't have the youtube channels he doesn't have that clout if you will yeah about... I, I i can definitely see why you'd say that yeah yeah so excited for that yeah excited to see just that because i think that 74 weight class is so like so many people just have to compete in it at some point because mm-hmm. so many of us powerlifters are in that range of 74 to 83 where it's either you start yeah. off at 74 moved up to 83 or you start off at 66 move up to 74 so that's why, that's why I think it gets it labeled the most stacked division. Yeah, I I'm excited to go seventy four, man. I'm excited. Yeah. It's not gonna be for a little bit, but it's gonna be fun once I do. Oh yeah, for sure. So, um, no, you're really passionate about the sport. Brought it up at the beginning of the show, and I know you're very opinionated as well. So I want to ask this, and I ask this to a lot of my guests: What is the one thing you would change about powerlifting? Uh. One thing I would change about powerlifting uh, that I do feel very strongly on is we see far, far, far too many people obsessing over their weight class. Let me tell you, bro. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm about, I get this a lot, I'm about 5'3". If you are taller than me and a 66, you got to reevaluate what you're doing, man. <laughs> like, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, and obviously there's some nuance to that. Like, I'm not telling, I'm not saying that, that Snur is doing something wrong. I believe he's, he's taller than me, but. Yeah, how tall you know, is he? I've never seen him in person. I, I, I don't know exactly how tall he is, but I'm pretty sure he's, he's an intruder, a couple inches taller than me. Um, yeah, I think if you were to not know about weight classes until a few years in, 
and just spend some time trying to get fucking jacked, not worry about getting competitive. I think most people would have much more, not just successful, but fulfilling careers, man, because everyone hates feeling like they're in a rut where they can't make progress. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of people who just simply don't have the muscle mass to be improving their total by a lot. So, yeah, more people should get jacked. More people should not know or not obsess over weight classes until they're a bit far in. Okay, so then what do you say about some of these, like, overblown guys in their weight class who actually have success in their weight class? Because I would put I would put C and Ricky Cho in that kind of same category that they're huge 74s. And I, I bring up the story all the time where I met Ricky Cho for the first time and I met C for the first time. I'm like, holy shit, you guys are bigger than me. Yeah, like, you are just bigger than me. I'm like, you have – I'm like – you guys could say that you're 175 or whatever you walk around at. I know I'm a small 83, so we're probably like a three or four pound difference. But holy shit, are you too big? But yep. like they, I would say I would like to see them stay at least one more year because they really are competitive in that weight class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I think that first off, I don't think you can look at anyone who is getting very strong, very very competitive. And to point out things are going wrong. I think generally when you see people doing very well, you know, there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. And I generally, you know, Ricky Cho, I think generally you could say someone as tall as me might do better as an 83. But the guy can cut weight, you know? So there's kind of a little bit of a trade-off there, but he's, he's got a down pat. And... For him, you know, I, I don't know too much about his cuts, to be honest with you. So let's just, you know, use a generic example of a random person, right? So if this random person is cutting X amount of weight, and it's a lot of weight, and it's very hard, is yeah. it worth it? You got to see what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? If it's for raw nats and a possible metal or a metal at Worlds, it's worth right? But if you're cutting, if you're sucking down weight and you're cutting so much for a local meet, it's kind of like, hey, maybe we should just make sure you're having fun. Yeah. Focus on the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that before where I, I, I've i seen people cut down when they, I know they definitely shouldn't have. Not too many – well, I don't know too many personal USAPL lifters because uh, a lot of lifters in Illinois are USPA or APF. So. Yep. It's, it's, and it is a different ball game, you know, with 24-hour weigh-ins. But I look at a person, I'm like, you're better suited being a, you know, 165 or 181. But you're obsessed with that weight class and you want yeah. to stay competitive. And I'm like, how competitive what, – what, what qualifies someone as competitive? That is one yeah. question that I always ask people. And, like, what – so – and this argument also ties into money meets too. I love these arguments where they compete in the USPA. It's like, I just want to win money. I'm like, so you think you're going to win money? You, like, legitimately think you're going to win money? I'm like, a very small population wins money. They are the best overall lifters or the very best weight classes of these big meets. So it's like almost a national competition. So are you really winning money? Is it worth doing it if you are placing 13th, say? Put a generic number on there. 13th yeah. is pretty damn good if you're 13th in it ranked you're better than you know i what would probably be like 99 percent of your field because there's probably a thousand lifters in some of those weight classes 
but is that competitive? If you're 13th and 181, yeah, I, you're getting out-totaled by heck by, what, 400, 500 pounds, if that? Like, it's not competitive, yeah, really. No, like, I, you, I you would need an extra lift to beat heck. You would need four <laughs> yeah. lifts to beat heck. You would need to get to do the deadlift and the rack pull. You need to add your rack pull to your total to get near heck for a lot of people. Certain lifters, you know, when they're talking about nationals, like, I guess, with the USAPL, and I always said, I'm like, hey, guys, you always say you want to compete with Russ. If you're going to nationals, you're not really competing with Russ. I didn't qualify myself as competing with Russ when I competed at nationals because I wasn't prime time. Like, I'm not competing with him. I'm competing at the same meet as Russ. I'm not competing with Russ. A lot of, um, you know, the, the question of competitiveness really comes down to your own individual perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And if somebody tells me that they enjoy being because I don't want anyone to interpret what I'm saying as your goals is not being worthy or you're doing something wrong. I don't want anyone to think I'm trying to say that they're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Everyone, I think, should find out what the sport means for them, where they would have fun to go, and just have fun, man, because what's good to me doesn't mean the same as what's good to you. And a lot of other people is like, you know, if somebody tells me that they're their goal is to go to nationals and qualify for nationals. To be honest with you, at this point in, in, in where I am with lifting, qualifying for nationals doesn't mean a lot to me at all. It doesn't really mean mm-hmm. anything. But if that's what someone's goal is and they enjoy that and they use that to get fired up about, you know, the way they look or, or, or their training and just have a better general outlook on life and themselves, you know, who am I to say that that's wrong? I, I think a lot of people... Just need to try to have fun right now. Don't take it so seriously. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that point. And there was, I think, actually, uh, your coach was on the, the episode where uh, they raised that qualifying total and you got that debate going on between, you know. Yeah. Uh, like, a lot of it was a straw man argument. I felt like there wasn't as many people complaining about the world's to- or the Nationals qualifying total r- raised at all. I feel like there's, a, of course, a few, but it wasn't as much as people were saying um, or pretending there was. Again, the straw man was being built. But, yeah, if that's your goal to compete at nationals, like, the whole, the whole sport is about goals. Is accomplishing exactly. going is, – is... Like, there's there's nobody in this sport that's really, like, making a career off of it. If, mm-hmm. you're, if you're doing this sport, it's because you get some personal satisfaction out of it. And no matter how you find that personal satisfaction, that's totally valid, totally mm-hmm. respectable, you know? As long as it's not hurting anyone or anyone else, so yeah, yeah. I, and I've gone into those like those shit talking debates too, where you know, because well, you know we are uh, we are serious about the sport. To an, like, mm-hmm. there's the people I associate with are very serious about the sport, and it's obvious through you know the competitions we've done, the totals we've put up, and what we've done with the sport. I think if you're coaching, if you're doing any sort of like job within powerlifting, you're obviously very serious about it. But would get like some shit talk like, "Yo, you're not gonna beat Russ, or you're not gonna you're not gonna come close to this." Like, okay, dude, if I total eight hundred kgs say in my next meet, and Russ beats me by twenty five kgs, dude, I'm I don't give a shit. I'm really happy. You know what I mean? Like that is my goal. That is what we're there to accomplish. It's like, yeah. if there's an opportunity to beat Russ, of course, it'd be cool to take it, but. 
I'm a realist, and I know that that opportunity is probably not going to come. But if I total, you know, close to 800 or over 800, I don't give a fuck if I play sixth even. Like, I'm happy with that total. Like, that is the thing. It's like, that is the goal. So if somebody comes to me and be like, I just want to qualify for nationals. That's my goal. It's like, boom, there's your goal. And if you accomplish it, you should be happy as shit. And then think about the next goal after that. Yeah. I think it's it's kind of misplaced to um, say, like, oh, and obviously anyone who knows me, I'm extremely competitive. I talk about a lot of other people in my training. But to, to actually place finite goals on other people, it's like, why would you determine your own happiness, I guess you could say, or your own sense of fulfillment on other people, Yeah. right? If I, if I say that I want to be you hypothetically speaking if i if i made that my goal right that's a kind of silly goal because what can i do to influence your training yeah you're a tool there's nothing that i can do so i'm just gonna focus on me and focus on what i can do to get better and you know then make a goal out of that that'll come from that that i can control yeah and like that that's very similar to what happened at, at the arnold for me was it was a really funny conversation like afterwards with people because you know me and Joe went in it's like if we can total this if we can total over seventeen hundred he's like I am very confident you could win the eighty threes and I went nine for nine we totaled over seventeen hundred and I still lost the eighty threes by actually a considerable margin in my opinion he beat me Delaney beat my fifteen tees and it was funny it's like okay. I'm happy right now. I went nine for nine. We hit all the fucking goals that we set out for ourselves that day. It's a perfect day. Yeah. And we thought that would be you a victory and it wasn't. And it didn't, it, and, and I'm a, I always talk about being competitive, but I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get down on myself that I lost when I went nine for nine and had a meet that I didn't even think that was our top goal was over 1700. Exactly. Cause my best total before that was 1637. So it's not, if I would have totaled 1670, I'm like, holy shit, look at that progress. I would have been happy with that too. But we had a above and beyond type of day, a perfect day, if you will. And we still lost. It happens. For sure, man. Big, big shouts out to Delaney. Yeah. He's so cool. I didn't even know how strong he was first time I met him. I just just run into him at New York meets all the time. Yeah. He's an absolute beast in the gym. And he's, he's a really nice guy too. So shout out to Delaney. Yeah, shout out to Lanny. We'll be coming on the show Sunday. So uh, yeah, I'll be interviewing. Oh, yeah, I'll be interviewing him Sunday. Uh, I think that episode will probably air next Wednesday. But and, cool. and also the funny conversations that I was having with uh, Joe and Candido because me and Candido, when we signed up for the meet, mm-hmm. was uh, you know we were. <laughs> you know, oh man, it's actually just like that hindsight thing that we get because yeah. he messaged me about the meet. He's like, oh, I see you signed up for uh, the Pro-American. And I'm like, hey, he's like, that's the one I'm doing. He's like, it should be a pretty competitive thing between you, me, Delaney, Carson. And he was like, Jamar's on a little bit island of his own. And so, you know, he's he's uh, he's like probably going to win by, you know, relative ease. But I think that between us, it's going to be the more competitive thing. And the person who wasn't mentioned as much was Delaney. Same thing with Joe when he messaged me about like where top competition was. I'm like, dude, Delaney's a fucking beast. I'm like, he t- he totaled top ten in Raw Nationals. He wasn't in prime time, but he ended up getting in the top ten. And then 
the results come in, and it's Delaney number one, me second, and then Jamar third. Like, we thought Jamar's on an island, like, holy shit, this guy's far above everyone else. But then it was yeah. the guy that no one was looking at, and that was Delaney. And then, you know, the field after that, too. So it was, it was like, yeah. a, a complete flip. Uh, it was a complete reversal of what we thought. Yeah, I mean, and just goes to show you, man, if you hit a big total and someone you didn't, you weren't really, uh, you weren't really looking at too much comes in and smokes you, do you focus on the other person or do you focus on your own success? Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's like you gotta, at that point, we, even when we put in our third attempt, Joe told me, he's like, we're just gonna gun it up to 340s, like, uh, we have to, we have to pull like 655 for the win. So we're not doing that, obviously. He's like, we're doing, we're just going for the American record. Because there there might have been a scenario where we pulled for the win. So if it was under the American record, like, we might want, just want to do that and win some money. But yeah. it didn't even come up, and it's like, you know, you're way off. Like, you're... All right, yeah, so... Hey, don't always want to be a cynic. So I'm going to ask you, because I asked you was one thing you changed about powerlifting... What's one thing you wouldn't want to change about powerlifting? So, what would be your favorite thing about the sport? Uh, by far, favorite thing about the sport is the camaraderie you see at meets. Mm-hmm. Like, 100%. You know, not even just at meets, when you see on Instagram, just... There's such a supportive culture around powerlifting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know, for me at least, when I'm hitting the big, big numbers in the gym... The other six, six juniors, they're commenting like, oh, hey, man, like, good job. You know, mm-hmm. I'm doing the same for them. We're all buddy-buddy. You see it at meet. You know, my, my favorite thing definitely to see is when you go to a local meet, you can just see people helping out the newbies. You can just oh, see yeah. everyone coming, helping each other. You know, maybe somebody knows the rules a little bit better. Maybe someone brought chalk and someone didn't. Everyone's just there to help each other, man. I, I, I think everyone kind of recognizes because of how individualized the sport is, because of how what I do doesn't affect you, we're all on the same journey, really. So I, I just love how, I guess, sympathetic, you could say, everyone is of each other and how we're all trying to do the same thing, man. Yeah, I I agree. And you know what's interesting is when I listen to um, other like sports podcasts or sports interviews just with retired athletes, they always ask them, it's like, what do you miss most about the game that you played? And I was just listening to one with uh, Carl Malone. He used to play on the Utah Jazz. He's a Hall of Famer, like 14-time All-Star. Um, the interview, if you guys want to listen, is on part of my take. He's kind of a fucking asshole, but the best answer that he gave was they, they asked him, he's like, what do you miss most about basketball? He's like, really, I don't miss the game that much. I just miss the camaraderie in the locker room. Yeah. It's like, I just miss hanging out in the locker room with the guys, you know, and just being a team and trying to win. And that's something that I also love about the sport is just, like, me going to the gym, me bullshitting with my friends, you know, me Mm -hmm. talking about the sport, me going and getting drinks afterwards. And, like, when it's all said and done, when I'm not competing, when I'm not on the platform, that's the part I'm probably going to miss the most is just that feeling of being part of a community where we're just you know we share a common interest and that common interest just brings a lot of just good times 
And I think that's why a lot of people like nationals that much. Cause that was, that was the coolest part about nationals for me, aside from the competitive part was, you know, sitting in the circles, kind of talking to people about powerlifting. Dude, you could just, you could, at nationals, you, you could sit down any, next to anyone, right? And mm-hmm. just have a conversation about what's going on. Yeah, like in we're the crowd. The same thing, man. We're all friends. Yeah, when we're in the crowd, you know, I'm just sitting there and there's a call because we're, we're all spectating and most of us are competitors. Uh, spectating the lifts that are going on and being like, holy shit, that was amazing. And I'm talking to, with each other about it. And person missed a lift, talk about why they missed a lift. If it was a bullshit call, talk about why it's a bullshit call. Like, that's, that's pretty fun. Exactly. Like, I'd say I might go to that. Most definitely going to go at least to watch, man. That's, that's just, it's just so much fun to go to a powerlifting meet. Yeah, and that's something that I've grown, I've grown a liking to in the sport. Because if you would ask me, like, when I started Two White Lights, going to powerlifting meets, I'm like, man, why do I want to go to a powerlifting meet? I'd much rather be in the gym doing it. Like, I don't, like, why would I go there? But then, you know, I, I went to a few meets to help out a friend or support a friend. And I've always had a good time at the meets. And it just became more fun. And the more competitive meets I've went to, I have had a better time. So I did a 180 on that opinion because I used to be like, man, fuck this. This is boring, too. I really look forward to going to meets now. Yeah. It's just, I don't think you're going to find a better community of people anywhere else. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, because you will, you do walk away with some, like, new... I want to say new friends, maybe new acquaintances when you go to just any sort of random powerlifting meet. Or just even events surrounding powerlifting. Because even at the Arnold, when I went to Pinnacle and watched, you know, Garrett deadlift and uh, Andy Huang and Joe Sullivan do a squat off. Like, that that alone was just something that was surrounding powerlifting. But, you know, met in a lot of new people and it was a blast. If I could go, I just... I think that everyone... You know, like, even if you, even if you aren't going to be, what in your own opinion of what competitive means, even if you're not going to be competitive, I think that's is just everyone should try to go. Mm-hmm. Everyone should try to be around that atmosphere at least once in their lifetime. Not even to compete, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit. I was uh, excited to see the atmosphere of the Arnold because a lot of people told me. I think Zach DiCostanzo was the one who told me first. He's like. uh yeah, but get ready because the Arnold atmosphere is way more intense than Nationals. I'm like, oh, shit, okay. I'm a bit of a nervous lifter, but that was two weeks before the fucking coronavirus hit, and, like, no one was there. So it wasn't as intense yeah. as Nationals, obviously. But the cool part about the Arnold, and I've said it on the show before, was I knew who was in the stands watching. Oh, yeah. And it was just other, it was just other powerlifters. That must have been, been eerie actually it was all right so i i compare it to a local meet but everyone at the local meet understood powerlifting because it was just like it wasn't you know people didn't get in their family and friends because they didn't want you know more people bought into the expo that wasn't really the expo because that's the pull of the arnold is like you get to see some shit you get to do some things and at this one you really get to do anything the only people who were allowed in were other competitors uh, my girlfriend got in because I gave her my lanyard, so they thought she was a competitor, and she totally wasn't, obviously. Oh, that's so, cool. Did it have so, a picture, too? Oh, no, we didn't have pictures on that one. So it was oh, just, yeah. 
it was he just he just held it up to the security guard. He's like, oh okay, yeah, you're good. So, but then when I looked into the stands when I was like hitting my deadlift, I looked. I'm like, oh, I know all these people, and they're all really, really, really good powerlifters. That was a cool part of it, but the atmosphere of like 250,000 people just wandering the area would have been a whole different ball game. And that was one thing I was, you know, just, I, I kind of want to do the Arnold again just to witness it because when Zach told me, he's like, it's intense, get ready. I was gearing up for something like really intense. And obviously yeah. it would have been if uh, the goddamn pandemic didn't hit, by the way, we broke every rule. Uh, the fact that none of us have got coronavirus after that weekend, which I don't know if anyone has, is amazing. I mean, dude, like, not not to be all, uh, like, uh, I don't know, I guess scared, but, like, you could have had it and been asymptomatic, man. That shit's so yeah. scary. You might not even know. Yeah, you I... Might have it right now. I no agree. One knows. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, the funny thing is, is and I, I don't even know if I said on the, the podcast before, is after the Arnold... The week later, the entire world shut down. Yeah. And uh, we thought we were being, you know, safe. Like, oh, we, we follow all precautions. The Arnold were good. And then realized, like, oh, my God, we did nothing right. We did What's everything true? wrong. <laughs> and, uh, like, the information given at the time, of course, they did everything right. USAPL did a great job. But it was like, okay, guys, no more than 10 people in a spot. And we're like, 10? Uh, okay, well, a week ago, I was in a crowded-ass restaurant, a powerlifting meet where everyone was touching the bar, sweating. You know, there was sand sanitizer set up, and you could wash your hands, but uh, there was no, like, there was none of that. Like, we were, yeah. we were just a week out. It's like, okay, if anyone's going to have the coronavirus, it's going to be all the people here, but it didn't happen, or at least as, as far as it's not showing up being much more serious than, uh, at least in terms of the impact on our regular lives and, and we thought at the time. I mean, oh, yeah. Like, it's uh, pretty scary stuff. I, mean, I hope we're nearing the end of this stuff. Um, I think being from New York, like, I think we are. I think we're looking to... If, if New York is towards the end, that's a good thing because they were hit the hardest. So Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, um, the like, New York coronavirus statistics... You can see that curve they were talking about, mm -hmm. and we're right at the end of it, man. And I, I don't know, like, I'm just grateful for that, grateful to be healthy. My whole family's healthy. Um, my mom had it for a second there, but um, she she didn't have anything more than just, like, a cough and, you know, uh, mild, like, fatigue. So mm -hmm. she was totally fine. I'm just grateful that... Yeah, I'm just, you know, happy that everyone around me is healthy, really, because it's, it's scary stuff. Yeah, uh, agreed. But, yeah, if, if, if New York is getting there, hopefully the rest of the United States is. I know a few of, uh, a few of my friends in Italy messaged me today and was really excited. They're like, uh, looks like two weeks from now, like, restaurants and gyms will be, like, almost fully oh, open awesome. over there. So, um, I guess there's, and Italy was hit, I think, the hardest out of, Definitely Europe and, you know, I think per capita might have had more deaths than China. So uh, that's that's a really good sign for Italy. But that that's enough for the COVID talk. We're going to get into something that everyone loves to do on Two White Lights, and that's word association. So oh God. <laughs> I'm assuming you know how word association works. You say a word, I say another. 
Yeah, and people get so cut up that you need to be one word. You can just fucking riff on it. You can riff on a word. You right, can riff right, on right. something else. So because people are like right, always I'm thinking ready. about one word. So um, again, start off easy, get a little harder as we go. All right. Squat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking right now. Love squatting. I think that for me, squats have been the hardest lift to get, but the most fun at the same time because you kind of underestimate how much goes into it, and <laughs> then you kind of learn a little more, and then you're like, oh wait, no, they people, you know, with um, just in the past, like I guess year since I've been working with Matt, I've just been learning so much about the way I breathe and the way my hip rib cage and move. And it's just, dude, it's so much. I, I love. Nice. Yeah. And then you hit something pretty big recently, right? Was that set a four or 500? Uh, or the two, other day, two twenty five. So Friday. At, yeah. Friday at Noriega's house, I hit four ninety six, which is two twenty five kilos yeah. for a set of five. That's big. Which my best single is five oh two. Yeah, that's that look that would that look money too. So definitely seen some progress on that. All right, how about bench? Bench, uh, sick. Benching is sick, man. Um, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, mostly in a good way. Uh, I I think a, a lot of people, but not might not everyone would know that I'm just getting off a, a pec tear right now. So a little bit of you know, when you say bench, my first instinct actually was to say like "ow," but uh, right now I'm doing really good with that. I love bench, man. I think more people should book with bench. Just being able to push a lot of uh, I think there's a lot of focus on minimizing range of motion, mm-hmm. and and that's good and all. But, you know, if you can get five pounds out of that, like, you can't just continually minimize your range of motion. You know, at some point, you have to do some actual hard work to improve your ability to push weight with your chest and arms. All right. Nice. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Bench press, it usually gets the most negative uh, feedback when I do this segment. Uh, Probably, I would say probably the same for me, too. But it is... It is a lift that can be pretty exhilarating if you could push it off your chest and if you aren't good at it. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I like I like your description there on bench. All right, how about deadlift? Oh, bro, definitely the sickest one. <laughs> I know I said the benches were sick. I know I said the squats were sick. But I just – I love the feeling of, like, the blood rushing into my fucking eyeballs and my forehead feeling like I got hit by a baseball when I, when I just go for, like, a heavy deadlift and – I mean, I go for heavy deadlifts a little more than I probably should. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. But um, it's just fun, man. Especially, I think, I don't want to say that conventional is hard because I don't really believe that. I think everyone has one that's harder, one that's easier. It's different for different people. Mm-hmm. But with conventional, I think everyone can say that it's a little just easier to grind with. Yeah. I've, I've said before, right. you, could, you could muscle up a conventional deadlift. Really hard to muscle up a sumo. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I, I just have so much fun doing that, man. Yeah. Yeah, I and again, deadlift usually gets the uh, gets the highest praise when I do this segment and this thing, but and I agree. It it's like the uh, 
I, I uh, Noriega messaged me before. He's like, it's the alpha of those three lifts. And I don't know if it's the alpha. I would still say squat is. Because I think if you could squat, you're just a badass. Like, that's just, it's the most dangerous. And usually, that's not the most weight. But it's like, when you really think of it, you're, you're getting crushed by weight. And you have to press it up with only, like, you have to use every little fiber in your body to, like, not die, really. Like, yeah. you can drop a deadlift and not die. Like, you're you're pretty exactly. much just, like, fighting death the entire way through a squat. So I think that's the most alpha. But it's, like, the it's, – it's the closer. It's the closer in powerlifting. You have a big deadlift, you're a game changer. Like, that's kind of how it is. Like, you could have, you know, obviously speaking from experience, but you could have some – two semi-decent lifts but then once those deadlifts roll around and you're really good at that it's like all right you just swing the whole competition one way so that's 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 why i think deadlifts are they get the most high praise close the show usually the best show to usually best lift to watch too in my opinion it's a fun time man deadlifts are when it's time to deadlift it's time to party man yep that's when the real competition starts all right, how about USAPL? I like their logo. <laughs> Not a that's bad what, logo. Uh, that's, what originally, <laughs> that's what originally brought me into USAPL. <laughs> I really didn't know any tips. I knew, dude, when I started powerlifting, let me let me explain to you this to uh, give you a, a little insight as to how little I knew about the sport. If you look at the, the, my first meet, you'll see that I signed up for Equipped. <laughs> Do you want to know why I signed up for Equipped? Because you wore equipment? Like, equipment? No, no, no. Because when I, when I clicked, um, like, on the sign-up sheet, it said, do you want to compete um, raw? Yes or no? I was like, I don't know what the hell raw means. <laughs> so, yeah, I competed single-ply for my first meet without any equipment. So, yeah, I guess, I guess that's the first thing with, uh, I can say with USA. Yeah. Drama. <laughs> in uh, politics of the profession, but at the end of the day, I think I think we got it pretty good. There's always things to complain about, but I, I think that uh, overall, as a governing body, they they got the a good avenue to compete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, the USAPL gets a lot of obviously differing, you know. Some positive, some negative. Usually in the middle is where that answer lies with the USAPL. I think but, the negative attention is totally deserved, though. <laughs> well, I, I sometimes, because I definitely became a USAPL elitist like in my time in the USAPL, where it's I look at other federations, so you have to compare the federation to other federations, right? Like, you got to do it, and then I'm like, okay, every decision the USPA makes mimics the USAPL, but the difference is there's not a bunch of fucking USAPL lifters shitting on USPA decisions every chance that they get. But it's yeah. the opposite for the USAPL. They make a decision that's logical, and then USPA guys are like, man, fuck that federation. That's why I tell people not to compete in it. Like, and there's, there is going to be a whole episode on this because I did, you know, I did rustle a lot of Jimmy's. Uh, yeah. making that post on USA APF and USPA has more elitist than USAPL changed my mind. And a few people did, you know, have strong opinions on that. So I got to get a panel discussion on that one. I can't just be the only person talking about it, but 
Yeah, I think some of the negative things that it gets for USAPL, um, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's uh, a bit blown out of proportion. Yeah, like I, uh, I can see that. With uh, one example I would use is like the the the, the collegiate nationals thing. Mm-hmm. Now the collegiate nationals thing, the meet directors seem like acting way above his responsibilities, saying things that he just wasn't supposed to say, and then people blame the USAPL. I'm like, whoa, that seems like a meet director problem. And then exactly, and then I had very one of our early episodes on two white lights was uh, Charlie Blinkley, and he got kicked out of a meet in USPA, and I think they had to strike that record or that that meet off the books because it was so misjudged and some of the lifts that happened in it, like a person put in the wrong opener and she changed her opener and got the, and was able to change it. Like, whoa, that's fucked up. That doesn't make any sense. But no one talks shit about the USPA. They're like, oh, it's the meat director's fault. I'm like, okay, it is the meat director. You're absolutely right. It's the meat director's fault. It's not by the governing body USPA, but that's a clusterfuck. And if it happened at a USAPL meet, you know, you would have all the USPA guys like, this is why the Federation's a fucking joke and it's all about politics. And, you know, that's yeah. that's my mini rant on that. You know, one thing about, I, I know you bring it up almost every podcast, and it's it's kind of hilarious because, like, when I first heard about you, it was when you were competing in, um, with the jersey on and you had you had a completely clean-shaven face. Um, is that, I like, I know you talk about the whole, like, you are now in the USAPL elitist thing is, but you don't you don't see anyone wearing a abolish the RPS shirt, do you? No. I know you've seen the Yeah, shirts, I've man. seen I that. Know you've seen them. I remember seeing I don't know who was wearing it, but I remember Garrett and I don't think uh Garrett would mind me saying, you know, what I what he said because he's very outspoken. But I, he was walking, he's like, "Who the f- who the fuck would wear that at a USAPL meet? Fuck that guy." What an idiot. I kind of want one of the shirts, actually. Yeah, abolish the USAPL. Like, he was wearing that, and he's not a USAPL lifter. And I just remember Garrett, like, he just stopped talking to me. We're in a minute of conversation. He's like, what the fuck is he wearing? What a fucking idiot. Garrett's so funny, man. Yeah, he just, just no filter on it. And then, like, we got into a rant about that, too. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of bullshit thing to wear. You're at a USAPL meet. You're at this whole fucking thing. This, this cool meet, and you wear this abolish USAPL shirt. And, yeah, I... Like, that seems like a thing that's not in the USAPL. Like, that's not it's a thing that we do not. to other federations. It's not. It's not. <laughs> I mean, of course you're going to have a couple people that, you know, do say things like that. Well, yeah, but then, I mean, I guess I cool. this this is like elitist talking and not elitist talking, but then I get into conversations with, like, you know, people in the APF and that kind of stuff, and <laughs> they're like, well, yeah, you talk to USAPL guys, they look down on us because we use equipment. And I'm like, all right, so they don't talk down on you because APF drug-tested raw lifting, there's no reason to talk about APF lifters. <laughs> there's just no reason. Like, they, they really don't know that – they don't know the top names. You know how I know that? Like, I'm like, no, they're not talking shit about you guys. They're really – like not really acknowledging you at all (laughs) because they're you're not you know they they have a better competition pool Uh, and that's a fact i'm not being a dick by saying that that is a fact they have a better competition pool yep all right so you went to usapl let's go ipf next ipf um 
tennis tennis match. That's what they want him to be. I mean, it's like like we. I know I spent a lot of time praising Gino earlier, but to see them want to remove him from the meets and make them quieter, remove music, like put him in. It just it seems like they want the meets to be boring. Mm -hmm. Uh, With that being said. I think competing in the IPF is the coolest thing that mm-hmm. someone can do just because like that is where the best of the best will compete against each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we do have, I would say a large portion, probably a majority of the talent in our country, but you're not going to see hack versus Gibbs. Yeah. Anywhere other than IPF worlds. Yeah. Same, you know, same with, I don't know anything else really. I'm sure you, I'm sure you get what I'm saying, but oh yeah, I, don't, I just I think beating the IPF is really cool. You know, you know what the interesting thing is because I mean I agree with you. Like I think they're trying to create an atmosphere where it's similar to a tennis match, but I'm actually cool with it because I think USAPL Raw National should be that hyped, fun meet, and IPF should be a, a ser- more serious meet. Where it's simply do it's simply surrounded up around a global competition, and the only thing you're focusing on is the competition. Yeah, just that, like that was- very similar to the Olympics, where only thing you hear is you know the lifter lifting. You hear the weights making those noises, like with the whip, and you know the weights uh, like slamming against each other and rattling. I I actually kind of like that because. It's like okay, you just you you're you're in the big leagues now, like this yeah, is it. Like I, you are you are so you're on a like a magnified platform where everyone is judging you. The only people like watching you are just like your other your competition and some of the fans out there. I'm I'm kind of cool with it being a little bit more of a serious side. I I think a good way to imagine things would be raw nats. It's a party, man. Yeah. everyone's there. Everyone's having fun. There's so many people that are there to compete in the morning session and then just, you know, hang out, have fun, enjoy the meet. Yeah. At IPF Worlds, it's business. Yeah. Everyone's there for an extremely competitive reason, and they take a lot of pride in, in what's going on. They're just really serious about it. So I, I can see what you're saying where you don't really mind that. It's intense, man. It's yeah. intense. Yeah, I think that's a, like the kind of silence and how stoic it is could just bring it. It could actually be way more intense than nationals because uh, I'm hopefully there. I'll be there one day, just competing in IPF Worlds to accurately give like a description of what I think it feels like. Because I, I think when you compete at something like the Arnold and Raw Nationals, you know you could be just so overwhelmed by the crowd that it could either hurt or uh, it could help or hurt you. Where in IPF, mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, it'll be, it'll be crazy to see that. Just like looking into like the abyss and there's like a quiet crowd and there's a quiet atmosphere and just how your lips respond to that. I think it's, my, yeah, part of it's cool. Thing, my first thing being there was realizing – just how terrifying it is to be in a room where at least half of the people don't speak the same language as you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's wrong. Obviously, I'm not making any personal accusations about them. It's just 
I can't even communicate these with these people. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, okay, there's no, there's no small talk to make. There's here. I'm here to lift. I'm here to get my squat rack. I'm here to start warming up. I'm here to lift. There's nothing else going on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That is, that would be, that is a trip. Uh, just yeah. competing, competing with someone you can't communicate with or competing with people you can't communicate with is, yeah, and then it brings it uh, like all full circle that this is a different type of meet, that it's a, you know, serious competition, but yep. yeah. Um, all right, how about Sean Noriega? Oh, I love him. Love him? Yeah. yeah Sean's great, man. Yeah. No, I've, uh, I've been training with Sean a lot lately, and yeah, I, I love Sean. He's great. Yeah. I, I had to bring that up. I know you guys. Uh, it's it's nice to see you guys train together. And in, in this, as the uh, all these ad companies in this ever changing society <laughs> that you guys get to compete with, you guys get to train with each other. It's nice to see. Um, I, I and also I think I know your answer for this one, or like what word you're gonna pick. But I can't believe I'm Matt Cronin. Beast. Absolute beast, monster in every sense of the word. <laughs> Man, that's uh, sounds like your idol. Yeah, he's he's one of them. Yeah, definitely, he's definitely up there. I I got a lot of respect for Matt. All right, so if I was gonna put you like your four idols in powerlifting, who would they be? Um, Sean and Matt are definitely up there. Uh, who else? I'm trying to think. Uh, Ashton. Okay. I definitely look up to Ashton a lot. Um, I think the coolest thing I've ever heard anyone say ever was when he was on the King of List podcast and he was talking about, you know, 93, 105, how am I making the decision of what I want to do? And he just said, I'm here to compete. I'm going to follow the competition. Yeah. And he, you know, seeing people who just genuinely want to find the hardest thing to do yeah. and give it everything they have. I think that embodies a lot of, you know, what I want to be doing. Yeah. And yeah, that's just that's just so cool to me, man. Um, and one more person that I would say that I idolize in powerlifting. Probably sounds like I hate everyone around me that I'm not having any answers for you. Right? No, man. It's uh. Well, here's the thing. It's a hard question because if you ask me the same thing, it would be, I mean. I think idol is different because we had like a thing of like our Mount Rushmore of uh, strength athletes. That was easier to do, but people I look up to in the sport the most, that would be much harder. Like for, because yeah. the people I put on my Mount Rushmore of, you know, powerlifters was Mark Henry, Steffi Cohen, Ed, Steffi Cohen, Ed Cohen, and John Hack. But I'm not going to sit here and say like, I idolize Mark Henry really. I'm like, I, I really, think you got to put Danny on there, man. Uh, Mel. I think you got to put Daniela Mello on there. As, as far as your icons go, or the Mount Rushmore. You saying the Mount Rushmore thing reminds me that yeah. First off, I think she definitely should be on anyone's Mount Rushmore of powerlifting. But yeah, I guess put her for number four. Okay. For me. Well, yeah, and I mean, how many people have pushed boundaries the way Daniela Mello has? Seriously. Well, I would – all right, so here's – if we're going into, like, the Mount Rushmore conversation, I put Steffi Cohen because I feel like he's been doing it longer, and he's – it. I mean, if you want to listen to the episode, you guys can listen. I forgot what number it was, 
But the reason why I put Steffi Cohen is one, you know, all time competitor, uh, top five, like female wokes of all time, but it was more of what she did with the sport. She mm-hmm. offers so much free information on her page. She has a mm-hmm. YouTube channel. Um, you know, we don't, we really might not get to see like the full event of the Kratos on what exactly it is, because I know they're mm-hmm. teasing a lot of it. And with the pandemic, it's probably a thousand times harder to really get it going. Yeah. But if that was a smashing success, then it's like, okay, he's doing much more for the sport where That's like where mellow is. Argument. Yeah. We're like mellow is a fantastic competitor, but she's what? Like 20. I don't want, I don't want to guess her age <laughs> for Sean punches me in the neck. <laughs> yeah. Sean's Sean's uh, booking a flight to Chicago right yeah. now to fuck you up. Oh, bring it, motherfucker. <laughs> I'll fucking hit his leg hard enough or like, try to kick his ACL out so I could, you know, maybe just outrank him. Yep. Play play hardball. But you know, like and then but like to to my argument, it's of course in five years it could be people saying like she's done more for the sport. We have no real idea. But that's like my Mount Rushmore was so different because I put Mark Henry on there and we specified strength athletes. It's like, okay, Mark Henry was legitimately the strongest man in the world. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he did world's strongest man. He did Olympic weightlifting. He still holds USAPL records. Like that's how fucking good he is. He still holds some USAPL, still records. Holds USAPL records. Yeah. If you like look what? at retired records, he holds them like that's insanity. He has long standing powerlifting records and on top of all that, he has this like trifecta, and he went to the WWF and world won a world heavyweight championship. Was he did so much for the sport, like pushing it into the mainstream, where people talk about yeah. crossover success. He was that. Like, of course, people now like Russ Orhi. He's not gonna have that. He's twenty six, twenty seven years old. He's not gonna do that. <laughs> Just that's why uh, yeah. I put him on there. I, I think you make solid arguments here too. Like I would, I would probably put you know Russ up there on mine, like as far as idols go, because I would like to be him. Mm-hmm. I would like to surpass him. Like that's mm-hmm. who I look up to because he's doing something. That I'm like, okay, maybe I can do that, but he's doing it in such a perfect way. It's like that's that's kind of why I want to go about being a powerlifter. Yeah, I could see that definitely. It's funny that you say that you want to be Russ because I've always kind of thought that you looked like him. Um, in what way? Like the face. Uh, <laughs> so, first time I saw you, so I the ethnicity, <laughs> so the race and ethnicity thing is going to hurt you the most in this way because Italians and black dudes just don't look that much alike. <laughs> so, I don't know, I don't know what you're saying man i mean i have a beautiful smile like him i know that it, that's that's it's probably it it's probably i mean it's i have a better be beard than him. Be the smile and, yeah i got a much better beard that's one thing i have on russ better beard he's working on it though and i technically a deadlift actually not technically i don't even know why i specify technically I sound like a bitch when i say that technically no i have a better deadlift than him but i have a better yeah, i probably, definitely have a better beard shit. yeah i definitely yeah. have a better beard than him yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Um, also, last word association. We're gonna wrap this up. Coaching. Coaching. Um, I think it's a very complicated thing, and it is 
when it's done right, it's beautiful to see. Really. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of people are really negative in the way they view coaching. Like, oh, there's so many people coaching that shouldn't be. But I think, like, not that I disagree, but I just love to see when people are just trying to do better. Like, there's, there's obviously, like, a ton of good coaches that we both know. But mm-hmm. to watch someone, like, truly, like, try to grind at improving their ability to help others get better, like, it's just awesome to see, man. Yeah, I agree. And I was I, – I would say, too, like, it's kind of an art form of coaching. Cause it just And it's something I'm more fascinated with now because I haven't had a coach for, like, most of my powerlifting career. And I have a coach, and then, you know, I see how he works – and then I see how other coaches work and how they do things differently. I'm like, it's pretty amazing how you can get success in different ways. Uh, yeah. Approaching athletes in different ways, too. Because Joe talks to me a lot about that. Like, how he mm. pro That's actually how he uh, sold or, like, pitched to me. It was like, wow. here's how I coach this guy, and here's how I coach this guy, and here's how I coach you. And wow. it, like, proved yeah. a point. I'm like, okay, so he's definitely going to be in um, – there's going to be a specific set – of standards and he's going to approach me and different athletes differently. So that's one, a good sign. And two, like how, how much they have to deal with and like, Holy shit. Like that's like a lot of, uh, that's a lot on your plate. And yeah, I agree. There, there is a funny, like negative thing with coaching now because there's a, I think a coaching elitist crew that is definitely uh, in every, in USPA, US, USAPL, WPO, you know, there is a elitist idea of, like, who should have the right to coach and who shouldn't have the right to coach, where, you know, if someone wants to coach, it's going to make them a better competitor, and they could progress as a coach much like they can as a competitor. Yeah, I think I think that most of the hate on people being too eager to coach, well, not eager, but too quick to coach, I think a lot of it's deserved. I just don't really know if I'm in the position to be criticizing people yeah. about whether or not they can coach. You know, I, I wouldn't consider myself an intermediate or elite level coach by any means. So who well, am I to criticize what someone else is doing? Yeah, but and I think, well, I think it's not necessarily if they're doing the right or wrong thing. Because it's like, okay, you know, you can't really – if they're doing the wrong thing, they just have to get through it and learn from their mistakes. It happens. The negative part is the money grabbing. Is yeah, the that's scheming exactly around what I was gonna say. and treating that's athletes exactly like shit. That's where yeah. you know it's the quickest way to get a big middle finger from the entire community. If you're going to put the effort into it and take it as seriously as it is, and and I say as seriously, I don't mean you take coaching seriously. I mean you take someone's career as seriously as they do. Yeah, you know, if you're not going to understand how much it means to that person and put in the subsequent amount of effort into figuring out how to help them with their nutrition, figuring out how to help them recover and how to move and how to program, if you're not going to do all of those things, you probably do deserve to be criticized by the elitist crazy. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I just, like yeah. I said, man, it's awesome to see people trying to learn how to do it and get better. I consider myself one of those people who's just trying to, you know, find their way. But um, if you're not and you're just doing a disservice to people so that you can 
make a little extra money, you kind of suck. <laughs> You're kind of a sucky person. Yeah, I don't even think you need to be an elitist to come to that conclusion because I've, you know, have flat out said to people, like, I think you're doing a shitty thing. Like, mm-hmm. if you're if you're either client, like, client poaching, there's a, there's a thing, and like, where I've seen it just in my gym where I'm like, hmm, are you using, you know, your coach's stuff to poach other people away that could be that guy's clients that you're not even telling and then like dude like okay you're gonna do the same exact thing i do i'm not gonna charge you for it like and then i'm like well i'm not charging them like well you're taking a potential client away from someone else because remember now you're not a you're not that person you know say you're coaching a 97 pound female and you're giving a program set for a 198 pound male might not be the same shit. <laughs> Might not be the same thing. Man. Might not be the same thing. So if you're like, okay, do the thing, exact thing I'm doing, like, whoa, like, give this person better guidance, please. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if they want to pay for coaching, let them pay for coaching. Like, and then, yeah. then of course, it, when the meat comes around, look at look, look at what my coach did. Like, okay, he's not charging you, but he's definitely taking all the recognition. Ah, uh, yeah, so. you see that a bit going on. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, that stuff's like, I, I don't like seeing. But I, I, I'm like, because I'm so far quali- like out from being qualified to be a coach, where I do not question anyone's coaching skills. Like, okay, you're doing this shit wrong. You're, unless it's like, egregiously bad. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm, everyone can criticize effort. Yeah. Like, I, like, that's something that I criticize, and I want to put myself in like this coaching elitist thing, because I, I don't see coaching as a, a future for me. It seems that you enjoy being a teacher. I do. Mm-hmm. And just not, yeah, I just, I don't think, I, I just don't know enough about, like, exercise science and all that kind of shit and programming. Like, I really don't. And it's mm. going to take a while for, if I do decide to coach, it's going to take a while for me to learn because it is not something that everyone just has in their brains. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people make the mistake of assuming that good athletes are good coaches and that's just couldn't be farther from the truth yeah i think most athletes that are good genuinely don't know why they're good well case and i'll I'll, like maybe finish up on this point is if you look at the head coaches like say in baseball and, and actually basketball i could use a good example in basketball it's like steve kerr if you guys watch The Last Dance, was a role player for the Chicago Bulls. He was not as good as Michael Jordan. But that dude knew the game because he had to work in so many different environments to get good at the game. He had to coach himself to be good at the game, and he knew, he knows what it's going to be like to be like, hey man, I know what it's like to average like five points a game, but we need to motivate you to do better so you can help the team win. Michael Jordan couldn't do that. Michael Jordan would be like, why the fuck aren't you good at this sport like I am? Like, I'm better. Like, why aren't you better? <laughs> just yeah, yeah, be yeah. better at the sport. And I've seen that so many times with, like, just uh, uh, just in different athletes where, like, uh, I heard Barry Bonds talk about his swing, one of the best hitters of all time. He doesn't understand how his swing works. He was trying to coach someone else on his swing. Like, you don't, you don't understand your swing, dude. Yeah. He, he just, awesome. he, he went through the motion, like, you're doing your own swing wrong. I feel like up until recently, I was, like, the same. You know, like, I couldn't 
I couldn't really explain to you very well what a bench press is or, yeah. or how to deadlift. You know, I think, obviously, like, in the past year, I've, I've learned a lot. But, but for a long time, I just I was just doing it to do it, man. I was just having fun. Yeah, I, I, I'm on the same boat because I just I, – when I got into powerlifting, I was just good at deadlifting. There's no reason why I didn't know why I was good at deadlifting. I was just I think you good, were born at... good at deadlifting. What's up? I think you were born good at deadlifting. Possibly. Like I mean even when I was like 15, 16 years old, like I was I never deadlifted before and I can immediately do well over 315. Mm-hmm. Like the form was probably jack shit, but like I could kind of understand what I need to do to lift the weight. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing with uh, powerlifting, like I did sumo and it's like, okay, I'm doing enough right things to me to lift heavy weights. So I just, but then, you know, other things I struggle in completely, but I couldn't tell people why I was good at deadlifting. And actually the cues I gave were wrong. But like, if you, if, when I first deadlifted, like my first competition, I deadlifted 611, um, you know, good deadlifted at 181. I remember when people asked for advice, now I look, I'm like, oh shit, I told them all the wrong things to do. I yeah, it's it's so funny looking back on what you like for me as well, like what you did think was the right thing to do, what mm-hmm. you did not think was, and just how it like kind of shifts over the years. It's just, it's great. Yeah. Like who knows where we'll be in five years from now? Will we think that us now are idiots in twenty twenty five? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I would, I would probably say so because it only takes me a year to. I mean, it only takes me to look back at years footage of my own deadlifts and be like what the fuck was i even trying to do <laughs> like what, what was my goal here yeah. why did i start that low yep. and, and i just wouldn't change i wouldn't change it but i'm like why did i do that that's so dumb of me and it's only a year one year like yeah. there's gonna i'm no, probably gonna go on bench you, press and do the same shit and like squat yeah. too same for me man yeah but all right man been a really good talk I agree. I'm I glad. Really appreciate you having me on here. No problem. Uh, the door is always open. Want to come on the two white lights? You totally can. You. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, uh, what's uh, I always do? I, I try to do this now at the end of the shows. Uh, how can people find you? Um, uh, at Evan Glasgow Powerlifting on Instagram. Uh, um, that's my Instagram. At E Glasgold is my Twitter. But I don't really tweet that much, and it's not about lifting, so it's kind of boring. Um, I follow I you on Twitter. My phone number, but it would be kind of weird if I put my phone number on a podcast. But I'll probably give it to you if you ask. I mean, I have it. I could put it in the description if you gave it to me. So <laughs> yeah, let's let's not do that. All right. I mean, I could. No, if you, you want. know, do it. Do it. <laughs> if yeah, you guys have any number, weird questions, I mean, you know what I you know what I say though. <laughs> you know what I say though. If you have someone's Instagram, you practically have their phone number. Basically, yeah. Like, I told... Actually, I'm... Ah, fuck. Should I... <laughs> so, I was having another po- uh, conversation with another powerlifter. Um, and maybe you guys can decipher who it is just based on my description of this person. But he's very weird about giving a girl his phone number. And they follow each other on Instagram and constantly talk to each other. That's having a phone number. <laughs> Yeah, if anything, it's a little more intimate because you can see people on Instagram. Yeah. So he's like, dude, I'm weird about giving girls my phone number. I'm like, you have 17,000 people have your phone number. 
because you have yep. that many followers. <laughs> like, you know how they could text you whatever they want, and you have the option to respond and not respond? That's a phone number, dude. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, no, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, so, so really, yeah. phone number is obsolete at this point. Yeah, so my phone number is 516-306-9641 with the plus one in front if you're not from the U.S. That's my uh, country code. Nice. I, I I hope you just gave your brother's phone number. That'll be great. No, that's that's mine. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you for giving your phone number and thank you for coming on Two White Lights. Thank you for having me, man. All right, everybody. Peace. So I could take her away Off on the natural talk